And now, Lord, we pray that we will be people who put faith into action. As we listen to your word, Lord, speak, we would pray, and then find us as an obedient people. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus who helps us and helps us and helps us. In his name, amen, amen. Please be seated. It's such a joy to have Pastor Jody bringing God's Word to us this morning. Do you know how hard Pastor Jody's been working all this past weekend, many weeks actually, with all the things that she does in Bridge Care? And she's found time to work hard on the Word of God as well this week. So we've got to encourage her and say thank you. And that God will bless and bless us through you. Thanks, sister. I have a confession. I was telling um, Ryan's friend who was over last night when she said, oh, you're all ready to preach tomorrow. And I went, you know, I get to this point and I go, maybe Jesus will come back before tomorrow morning. But He hasn't yet, church. I'm excited about the fact that He is coming, but we're here and we're, we still have things to do here. So we wanna open God's Word and hear it this morning. Before I start reading this passage, I just wanna tell you that the very first commentary I opened said this is the most controversial text in the book of James. I hope that's not why four pastors are away today. I just hope that isn't the reason this morning. Um, I'm sure it isn't, but let's see what God has to say to us. I'm reading from the ESV translation today. James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word to us today. One of the children's fairy tales that I heard growing up was the emperor's new clothes. Do you remember it? The story goes that there was this emperor who was obsessed with his wardrobe. And one day some tricksters came along and told him that they would make him some new clothes, but the material that they were using was was so fine, of such a high quality that it would be invisible to anyone who was simple-minded. The emperor thought that he was wearing his marvellous new clothes. 
and, and convinced himself, and everyone convinced themselves that the emperor was actually wearing these clothes because they didn't want to be implicated as a fool. And then there was this child in the story, uninhibited by having to impress the people around him, and pointed out the obvious when he said, why was the emperor parading around naked? It is a ridiculous story. And thankfully, Bible stories are way better than fairy tales to read to our children. But this story came to mind this week as I read this passage in the sense that faith is more than belief. It is more than thinking and theologizing, more than trying to impress God and people, more than turning up to church to listen to people from this platform tell you what faith should be. And if faith doesn't produce something, if it isn't something that the people around us can see, James challenges us to wonder if it's really faith at all. James' audience were most likely Jewish people who had come to Christian faith. They came from this faith background of believing that it was their birthright to be God's chosen people. They were brought up in a system of mosaic law which held rules for every part of their life. They needed to be followed meticulously in order to hopefully be right before a righteous God. Some of you can relate to being brought up thinking that getting into heaven is all about doing all the right things. Good deeds that hopefully will make you good enough for God. That is what religion is for many people. And the Apostle Paul speaks right into this thinking and says, not even our best efforts to get to God are ever going to be good enough for him. God is holy perfection, but he is also love. And his desire for relationship with us means that he initiated a way for us to come to him, not by doing good things, but through Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who sacrificed his life for our imperfections so that we could stand in his righteousness before this holy, perfect God. We receive his righteousness in faith alone, by grace alone. Romans chapter three, verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from good works. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Hear that this morning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ received by faith. Isn't this incredible good news this morning, church? Righteousness is a gift. Salvation is a gift that we never have to earn. Praise God. So how then can James turn around and say that faith without good deeds is not faith at all? How can this not be a, a direct contradiction to the Apostle Paul? Martin Luther, 
agonised over this. He'd spent his whole life trying to be good enough for God and then was radically transformed by Paul's teachings that righteousness does not come by our being good, but by faith alone. This truth started a reformation. How could James here be undermining this gift of grace by adding works back onto faith? And it's so interesting to me that both Paul and James reference Abraham as their example for both of their points. In Romans chapter three, uh, sorry, chapter four, verse three, Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Meaning that if salvation was based on works, then God would owe us salvation. That's not how it works for Paul. Verse five says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's Paul's perspective. James too also references Abraham. We just read it. Chapter two, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. No wonder Martin Luther was confused. No wonder some people give up reading the Bible and say it's way too confusing. But as we look closer at these passages, they don't actually contradict each other. Larry Crabb in his book, 66 Love Letters, puts it this way. While it's absolutely true that we are saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. Justifying faith is always accompanied by regenerated life and that life will reveal itself. I came across some teaching by a retired Baptist professor in hermeneutics this week, Bob Utley, who gave this great illustration for understanding the context and perspectives that James and Paul are both speaking as truth here in these passages. It's captured in a verse that Jesus speaks of at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, where we see there is a gate and a way to live. This apparent contradiction between Paul and James can be explained by this gate and the way. When Paul is talking about righteousness, he's talking about the gate. The moment of salvation where we receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Entering that gate which leads to life is not dependent on what we do. Abraham entered the gate like everyone else, simply by faith in God. His belief alone was righteousness received as he entered that gate. But Jesus is also concerned about what takes place after the gate. There is also a way which leads to life. And this is the righteous way James is emphasising to his audience 
Paul references Abraham's receiving faith from Genesis 15, when, he first, when Abraham first encountered God. But James is talking about a completion of faith when it is demonstrated in Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham in obedience to God is willing to sacrifice his son. This action of faith is a fulfilment of the righteousness birthed in belief. Faith becomes real, complete in how it is lived out in our actions. And living out faith in this practical way brings an intimacy in our relationship with God. Abraham was called God's friend. Isn't that beautiful? This didn't happen in the moment of belief. It happened as belief translated into a life of faith aligned with God in obedient action. This is the way to the fullness of life that has been promised to us. Maybe a part of the confusion is that in Greek language, the one word for faith is used in three very distinct ways across these passages. One, faith is welcoming this person of Jesus into our life. It's the aha moment of receiving receiving him, entering through the gate, spiritual new birth. But faith is also used of the truths about Jesus to be believed, the knowledge about him that we grow. And then faith is also used to refer to living a life like Jesus, living out our faith. We're saved to love God and serve others. Jesus modelled this way to live and we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into Jesus' image and likeness. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Faith is the way we live. Each of these meanings are different, but go together to give the fullness of what this picture of faith is all about. Jesus warns us, sorry, James warns us in this passage that faith is not just knowledge on its own. He says, you say you believe in God? Well, congratulations, even the demons can say that. Faith is more than our thinking, more than intellectualizing and having our theology all worked out. James says faith is also more than an initial encounter with Jesus. In our Baptist way of interpreting the Bible, we put a lot of emphasis emphasis on the gate, that moment of receiving Jesus' gift of grace. We aren't just accepted into God's kingdom by some osmosis. It's not just by being born into the right family or attending the right school or church. There is a moment when a person willingly places their trust in Jesus, receives him as their savior, receives forgiveness of sin, receives the promise and hope of eternal life. It's a moment that marks a person's rebirth into new life, spiritual life. The Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in us. It is the most important decision we will ever make. But life in Jesus doesn't stop there at the gate. It's not a ticket to heaven that says, well, now that I'm in, that's it. You're not in heaven yet. 
even though God has received you as your child, has clothed you in his righteousness, the way of faith is just beginning there. God has a purpose and a plan to regenerate your life. He gives you gifts to serve. God wants to impact people through you. His heart is that others would experience Him through your faith in action. And in this way, it's developing and maturing, growing into genuine faith, which is fulfilled by the fruit it produces. This is the righteousness that James is talking about, that is encouraging us to live out every day. Faith, which is birthed by grace, but made complete in its practical expression. Faith that works. Sadly, not all faith produces fruit. Well, we see this in Jesus' teaching in the parable of the sower. Some of the seed is gone before it even has a chance to grow. But other seed falls on rocky ground and it's received with joy. I think that's faith that starts to grow there, but then it doesn't ever get to produce fruit. Other seed has its start among weeds. The things of the world get in the way of faith, chokes it out, and it doesn't produce fruit either. But then there's seed that falls into good soil. This is faith that grows to bear fruit. A yield, 160, 30 fold. You know, the amount of the yield is not important in this parable. It is that faith is proven and grown to produce something, to produce fruit. In a season where we have been called as a church to sow generously, and believe for a harvest of righteousness that God wants to pour out over this place, over our community, over our city. We need to heed James' words in in this chapter. Faith without works doesn't work. Only faith in action leads to a harvest. I love that James uses Rahab as his second illustration of this point. Rahab and Abraham could not have been more different. Abraham was this honoured and revered Jewish father of faith. Rahab, on the other hand, was a Gentile, a woman and a prostitute. Her story is that she hid the spies Joshua sent into Jericho to scope out the city before they were planning to destroy it. She had no background of faith. She had never heard of the Mosaic law. She was born into a culture far from God and she lived a questionable life with a questionable reputation. And yet listen to her testimony in Joshua chapter two. She says this, she said to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. This is this Gentile lady far from God saying this. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab continues in this passage, asking for the mercy of God to save her and her family. This is amazing faith. In faith, she had come to a saving knowledge of the one true God. In faith, she believed for salvation and received it. What a picture of mercy triumphing over judgment in that moment. And then more than mere words, more than a declaration of her mouth, her faith is demonstrated in action as she risks her life to protect these spies and help them escape to safety. This surprising story of faith is woven into the genealogy of Jesus. A beautiful picture of God's heart to receive anyone and everyone who puts their faith in him. No one is excluded from his grace. This is our hope in Jesus. It is not our background or our credentials or our good life that qualifies us. It is his mercy poured out on us, which we simply receive. Then out of his mercy for us, with the Spirit's life renewing and regenerating us, we show mercy to others. This is what James is calling us to. It's so obvious for James that faith and works go together. They can't be separated. Three times in these verses, James repeats that faith without the accompanying action is not faith at all. It's useless, it's vain, it's dead. Right at the end of this passage, James says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you have seen death, you know exactly what James is talking about here. When a person's spirit departs, the body is a lifeless shell. It's hard to explain with words, but the body left is no longer the same person that you knew and loved. The spirit of the person carries their life. And James parallels that to faith. Faith without works is no faith. It is the shell of faith. It doesn't carry the life that it's meant to. Just as the body needs a spirit for life, faith needs works to bring it to life. James' heart for those in need is echoed again in these verses. You've heard it already in this book. Here it is again. It is not enough to see someone in need and not be moved to action by our faith. Words are not enough in these situations. As believers, we are not to be indifferent to the people and needs around us. The Apostle John echoes these words. He says in 1 John 3, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, talking to us, let us not love in word or deed, but in deed and in truth. Our faith is fulfilled, it's grown, it's perfected as it is lived out in love. We are to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. 
Maybe this is a relief for some of you who feel uncomfortable talking about your faith. Trust that the Spirit will give you words when those opportunities come. But for the most part, we get to express our faith in Jesus every day just by living out, living out of God's love and kindness and generosity and care for the people around us. Just in the way he leads us to and shows us and prompts us in. This is not necessarily anything big or life-changing. You don't need to call a prayer meeting to do this. You don't need to get the okay from your connect group to do this. We're just meant to live out with our faith in action. Living our normal life, loving God and loving the people God puts in our path. Recognise that God has placed you exactly where he wants you. In your neighbourhoods, in your street, in your families in your gyms, to be his salt, to add God flavour to the world around you, to be his light, to bring hope, shine hope into dark places. Matthew in chapter 25 reminds us of just how simple this is with Jesus' words when he said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Does it get simpler than that? I was a stranger and you welcomed me. A new person in the courtyard and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. This is the faith that James says is alive and real. Faith that is demonstrated by actions that reflect Jesus' heart for people. It flows out of God's heart and is the fruit of the Spirit of God alive in us. Larry Crabb continues his thoughts on James. He says this, But when your faith leads to a consuming desire to love God and others at any cost, when your faith is accompanied by a consistent pattern of good works, your life in this world will not be wasted and your life in the next world will be uniquely blessed. Grasp that truth and you will discover the power to resist your favourite temptations and to keep walking the narrow road to life, to fill your life with good works. Pete's already mentioned it, the story of Raquel in the newsletter. I love Abby's story too. Just living out your faith on your front line. I love reading the stories about volunteers who have been to Grantham and Goodna, the team that responded so quickly to the opportunity to care for people in Lismore this week. A, church, a group of people going up to Biloela to bless the church on their family camp. Hampers and donations of money and vouchers. So many people willing to give of their time and resources in this place to see God's kingdom come here on earth. They are just the things that I read about in the newsletter. I can tell you this week, there are a thousand more things that took place. I know of some of them, meals that have been made, people who have been visited, a family who took another family in, in need, opened their doors, gardens that have been tended, coffees that have been served text messages that have been sent, cards that have been written, hungry that have been fed, 
So many expressions, church. And I struggled a bit this week, actually, to kind of work out what God was saying to us here because I see your faith in action constantly. Your heart to give and serve in this place is incredible and it actually stirs me with emotion. I've seen Jesus in this place in so many ways over so many years. I am constantly blown away by the generosity and love that gets poured out here. So blessed by it. So much more than I even know about that God knows about, that God cares about, that God sees. Blessings that flow out of his heart expressed so incredibly by his body here. Thank you, church. Thank you, Jesus. And it is making a difference in people's lives. You know, I was amazed this week by the response of the army guy I spoke to in Lismore coordinating the donations down there. He was so confused as to why random strangers on the north side of Brisbane were trying to get a truckload of donations down to help people in New South Wales. He couldn't work it out. He goes, who are you? Why are you doing this? Where does this money come from? When I explained we're, we're Bridgman Baptist Community Church, he said, oh, I've heard of that church. I was amazed. I think he was from the Northern Territory. <laughs> it reminded me of Habakkuk's prayer where he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. Do it again, God, in our time. Make them known. You know, in some ways, I think God keeps blessing us because he has more people to love through us. It's not for us to be boastful or prideful about. Not so we can take a rest now and let someone else have their turn. We need to keep abiding in God's heart, church. Letting him move our heart in compassion to the needs around us. And to keep stepping out in obedience to him. This is what real faith is. This is how faith grows. And this is what produces fruit and a harvest for the kingdom of God. We have the opportunity to pray together this week for opportunities to do this in our front lines. The reason we're praying is because we need God's help. I'm not saying it's easy to do this. We need God's help. There is opposition out there. There is a spiritual war raging around us trying to stop people from knowing God. But there are people in our front lines who so need God. Sometimes they don't even know it yet, but they need Him. And they'll, they'll see Him in your actions, your expressions of God's heart. And we are believing for a harvest a harvest is coming, church. Lives that are about to be transformed and changed by a mighty outpouring of God's mercy and grace. Our response this morning is, is a heart that says, thank you, God, for your gift of faith. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. Maybe you need to have, a, have your moment with God today. Maybe that's been an aha for you. A moment of receiving that gift of grace. 
For others, we want to just be filled by God again, filled by his Holy Spirit, moved by his heart to action and obedience. Keep asking him to give you that heart for the people around you. Keep asking you to give your eyes to see what he sees. Ask for the courage to recognize and obey his promptings to put our faith into action. I invite you just to bow in prayer now. God wants to speak to you today. And we want to have hearts to hear what he's saying. What is he putting on your heart right now? Is it a person in need? Is it an opportunity to serve that you've been meaning to follow up? Is it someone to encourage? Is it to join in the prayer meeting this week with God's people here? Let's not just be hearers, church, but doers of his word today. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your heart for people, God. We thank you for the countless ways that you demonstrate faith and action in this place. The big things and the little things, God, you see them all. You see our heart. You see the things that motivate our heart. And we just ask, God, for a fresh anointing of your spirit over your people to do what you've called us to do. That faith would not be empty words in this place, God, but faith that is full and complete. Faith that produces fruit, God, for your kingdom. Lord, we long for your kingdom to come. We long to see more lives transformed and changed by your incredible spirit, God. Lord, we long for your name to be lifted high, for your fame to spread throughout this city, God, throughout this world. Do it again, God. Pour out your spirit. Show your mighty hand. Do it again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are always welcome to come for prayer in this place. We love to pray. Part of that is just standing together as God's expression of His body here. Encourage you to come out on Wednesday night and pray together. It will be a powerful night. Stand and worship and see His hand, His good hand poured out again. Thank you.
Jesus, we just want to say thank you so much for that moment, Lord. You led us into faith. Oh, what a, what a day that was. And Lord, this incredible privilege that we've had, Lord, of living for you. And I pray that this week will be one that we invest well for the kingdom of God, Lord. We pray, bless every gift that's given, Lord, I would pray. Every deed done, every word spoken, every cup of water given, every coffee served in the name of Jesus Christ. 
That's what we ask you. We want your fame, Lord. I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Repeat them this week, Lord, we would pray. Make them known, Lord. And in wrath, remember mercy, Lord. We know, Lord, we know this nation. We know this nation doesn't deserve your mercy, Lord, but we're asking for it. We're asking for it, Lord. Your mercy this week. Others joining, Lord, coming into the kingdom of God, we would pray. We're, Lord, ready and able, willing to make known the name of Jesus Christ. Lift you high, Lord. Give us courage, strength, Lord, we pray. And as we pray that for this nation, we pray it for your people in Ukraine too as well. Again today, we remember them, Lord. Mercy, we pray, great God, mercy. All these things, Lord, we give to you. Thanking you for your beautiful presence here, Holy Spirit, among us now. Bless every conversation now too, I would pray. Lead us on this week in all that you have planned and purpose in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's so great to have you with us. Those online too, it's been terrific having you sharing with us today as well. Um, do stay if you're welcome. Um, if it's your first time, do stay at our Welcomers Lounge. We'd just love to catch up with you there if it's your first time here or second or third for that matter too as well. God bless you. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. Be terrific.